One of the greatest tragedies for any person would be if they were to live in darkness when they don't have to. Consider Rose Crawford. She had been blind for 50 years. And then, amazingly, she had an operation in an Ontario hospital. As the doctor lifted her bandages from her eyes, the light came in and she could see. She wept for the first time in 50 years of existence. She saw what so many of us see and take for granted, light and color and the dazzling world that we live in. The amazing thing about the story, however, is this, that for 20 of those 50 years, her blindness was unnecessary. That is, she was unaware of the new surgical techniques that had been developed who could have restored her vision 20 years earlier. The light came in. She was in the darkness, didn't need to be. The doctor, when was interviewed, said she just figured nothing could be done for her condition. He said, I said that much of her life could have been so much different. Today, I want to talk about Jesus, the light of Christmas. And like Rose Crawford, I think that many of people today are blind about what Christmas really means. And they're in a desperate condition. They've never really seen Christmas like those who really see it with spiritual eyes, unaware of the hope, unaware of what really happened on Christmas Day, that light that came in, that hope that came in, as we just sung about, as we've heard so beautifully related to us. Light came into this world. Light came at Bethlehem. I'm looking forward to this message out of John chapter 1, perhaps one of my top four or five chapters in the entire Bible. Let's all bow forward to prayer, if you would, please. Father, we thank you this morning for this beautiful opportunity to talk about the light. And Lord, today I pray that you would speak to each one of us, that our hearts would be touched by your amazing word of John chapter 1. I pray that, Lord Jesus, our hearts would be drawn closer to you and that, God, you would help our, take the blinders off of our spiritual eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go to John chapter 1, if you would, please. The book of John, one of the Gospels, the fourth Gospel, sometimes separated from the first three, the synoptic Gospels. The book of John begins with a man, John the Baptist, not the same John who wrote it, but I want you to look at verses 4 and 5 as we begin, and if you'll put those on the PowerPoint here. And we're going to read those together out loud because it sets the stage for what we're going to talk about the balance of the message. And let's read those together, if you would, just like you participated in that wonderful offering. And by the way, ushers, keep an eye on that offering right there. Let's look at verse 4 and 5. All right, ready, begin. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There is much in Scripture about light, and there is much in Scripture relating light to God, and specifically Jesus Christ. In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 2, 
the great prophet Isaiah, the evangelical prophet, was looking forward to a time at Bethlehem when the light would come. He wrote, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. Wouldn't that be a blessing today? They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Christmas is about light. I know there's a lot of traditions that maybe just kind of come over from the old world. But the fact is, have you ever thought about how often Christmas is related to light? There's Christmas lights and there are candle lights, but Christmas means light. We sing the song, Silent Night, Holy Night, but that really wasn't about darkness. That song is about light. In fact, one of the stanzas says that love's pure light was born. In John chapter 5, we are excuse me, in John chapter 1, we find five qualities about Jesus, the light of Christmas. Let's look at quality number one. Jesus is the vast light, as in big and immense and incredible and measurable and boundless, infinite. That is Jesus Christ. Look at verse 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Here we see Jesus described as the Word. It's interesting that in verse number one, the name Jesus or the name Christ is absent, at least the actual Word. But He is there because the Bible says His name is the Word. Notice it's capitalized. And that word is the Greek word logos, L-O-G-O-S, logos. Why? And John, just like God, he rarely explains himself. He just kind of puts it out there and lets us find other scriptures to kind of validate what we're thinking and get it figured out. Why doesn't God just call him Jesus? Why doesn't he say, in the beginning was Jesus? Why does he call him the word or the Greek word logos? Because actually the Greek word logos is a perfect word when preaching to the Greek audience. The book of John really focuses to the Greek audience as the book of Matthew to the Hebrew audience. And here the book of John is talking about this, how that Jesus is the logos. To the Greek, the word logos was meaning something supernatural, uh, a non-personal force you know, if you watch those old Star Wars movies, you know, let the force be with you. And, uh, but the force, the logos, to their mind, it was this impersonal force that was in the universe. And things were the way they were because of the logos. Here, God says, you want to know who the force is? You want to know who the logos is? I will tell you who it is. It is Jesus Christ. He is the logos and that's what he is here. He is the Logos of God. To the Jews, when they read that word, they understood more because throughout the Old Testament, they would see the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord. To them, they meant the written word. And to be sure, that is, the, uh, that is what they're speaking of. But also there is the tangible uh, word. There is the word that we can feel. There is the word that we can touch. John said it in the first book of First John. He said, that which we can feel and touch. Jesus 
is the Logos of God. He is the Word on God. When something is the Logos, it's the Word. You might say that, you know, one of these basketball players, James LeBron is the Word on basketball. He's the, the best player. LeBron James is the best player that's ever lived, you know, supposedly. Well, you know, he's the Word on basketball. Well, I'll tell you, Jesus is the Word on God. He is boundless and immeasurable, limitless and infinite. It is said about light that it travels 186,282 miles per second. That means around the world seven times in one second. And yet God is much greater than that light. That's just minuscule compared to the light of God. Now there are many traditions and uh, many parts about Christmas that uh, I like. Uh, there's a few that I don't. I don't like eggnog. <laughs> I don't know what it is about eggnog. I, you know, every time I drink it, I'm thinking, it's not enough that we get fat from what we eat. Now we're going to drink the fat stuff. You know, I always wonder what, it, what that stuff is that I'm drinking. You may have heard about the re- non-religious guy who said, I don't celebrate Christmas because I'm a devout agnostic. <laughs> there you go. The babe in manger, however, is not just a little tradition. It's not just a story. It's not just something cute. It's not something we can put on our mantle. It's not something we put on our lawn. The babe in Bethlehem is the vast God being put into a little human form. It is God in the flesh. It is the Logos of God. He is vast. The first thing about Jesus as the light of Christmas is He is a vast light. Number two, He is the vital light. Look at verse three. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. Verse four, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus is the only person who can give meaning to life. That's what this verse says. He's the only one that gives true vitality. Look what it says in verse 4. In Him, that is in the babe that was born in Bethlehem, in Him is life. In Him is the light of man. Light and life are interwoven. You cannot have life without light. Each spring when the light comes and the heat begins to germinate the seeds, the buds begin to sprout out and grow. Light causes something to produce in plants called chlorophyll. And it begins a process known as photosynthesis. Did you know that the same root word for photosynthesis is the same root word here as the word for light? It's the Greek word photo or photon. And it is showing that with photon, with life, with photosynthesis, it begins this process of turning the carbon monoxide and turning the the things of this life, turning it into life-giving oxygen. Thank God for the light because it turns into life. If we didn't have sunlight, the earth would plummet in temperature. Scientists estimate that the Earth's surface would go down to 200 negative, 240 degrees centigrade. It would kill every bit of life. 
Scientists tell us that photons are the carriers of electromagnetic force. That is, without electromagnetic force, everything would just explode. It is the magnetic force of light that makes things consist. The truth is, verse number four is so scientific because without light, you can't have life. And that's what the Bible is saying here. Jesus is the light. He brought life because of the light. Life is built on sunlight. You take the sunlight away, everything becomes cold and dark and dead. And that's exactly what happens without Jesus Christ. A marriage without Jesus Christ is at best just going to be limping along. A a family without Jesus Christ, a life without Jesus Christ, a man without Jesus Christ, a woman without Jesus Christ, there is no light there. And because there's no light, there's really no life. It's the vitality of life. Oh, we can be existing. That's why God uses two different words for light in Scripture. There is the word bio, which just means alive. And then there is the Greek word zoe, which means all the essence of life and all the, the smells, the beauty, the, the, the vitality of life. And that's what God is saying here, is that because Jesus is the light, we can have life. All of color depends on the wavelengths of light. When light hits the eyes, we can see color. And I don't know how it works, but they say that when you look at a, like a red dress, red top my wife was wearing there, it's not actually red. It's just the way that light at that spectrum, there's a whole spectrum of light. And depending on what spectrum and on what color we see, I'm not sure how that works. But the point being, because of light, there's color to life. Because of light, there's life in life. Apart from the light of the world, there's no life. God is light. His Word is light. Jesus is light. Have you ever thought about what would happen if we didn't have God in this world? If we didn't have Jesus in this world? I mean, there'd be no justice. There'd be no truth. There'd be no right and wrong. People would do whatever they want. There'd be no point to living. What's the point of living? What's the reason for existence if there's no God? I mean, I might as well just go along and just do nothing. There's, life would be nothing. But when I get saved, when the light of Jesus comes into my heart, now I have life. Life comes into my soul. That's why it says He turns the light on. And that's what I say this morning, turn the light on. Jesus turned it on 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. There are five qualities in these verses. We must hurry on. Jesus is the vast light. He is the logos of God. He is the vital life in Him. Because of light, we have life. But He also is the victorious light. Look at verse 5. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Now, that word comprehended it not, it's, we might imagine that just simply to me not understood. And it certainly could read that way, that the darkness actually couldn't understand the light. But actually, the word means to overcome. Actually, it means to just have victory over something. It says the darkness never could have victory over the light. And let me tell you, the darkness has been trying forever. And yet the true light is always victorious. God created the incredible earth that we have. He created the heavens, the lights, But he also created these creatures called angels. There was one angel in particular who was known as the angel of light. His very name means light bearer. You know his name, Lucifer. 
And today, anytime you hear the word Lucifer, you know, we, we cringe. We think of some Hollywood movie or some book we've read, but the truth is Lucifer was a beautiful, light-giving messenger of God. But then Lucifer turned against God, and he, he rebelled, and one-third of the angels went with him in a perfect place. And there they went into darkness. And from that point forward, the darkness has been trying to conquer the light. And yet darkness has zero power against the light. And really, it's an easy illustration to prove. If you are in a room, a dark room, and you want to get the darkness out, what do you do? If you want to get the darkness out of a room, do you open the door and say, get out of here, darkness? Or do you take a broom and try to sweep it out? No, there's really no way to get the darkness out unless you turn on the light. And once you turn on the light, the darkness is gone. Darkness is powerless against the light. Not so with light. You can bring darkness into a room and the light still will shine. In fact, in a dark room, the light even shines farther. It's the amazing thing about light. You can't put out light. Darkness can never overcome the light. Think of the sun this morning. Think about how bright it is. It radiates so much energy. They say that the sun radiates more energy in one second than it has been used by all of mankind throughout all of every civilization throughout the last 6,000 plus years. In one second, there is more energy used in the sun and that will ever be used by civilization. Four million tons of hydrogen is burned off every second. That is like four million tons of hydrogen bombs. Imagine four million hydrogen bombs going off every second on the sun. That's why the sun is so powerful. If you were to look at this, go outside, if you could find it this morning, behind all that haze, if you were to find it this morning, look at it just for a few seconds, you would go blind. And that's what the Bible says about Jesus. No man can really look at the glory of God without just becoming a different person. Look what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 16, speaking about our Lord Jesus, who only half immortality. Now, I know some think that they're going to freeze themselves and, you know, they're going to come back in a few years, folks. It's not going to happen. Trust me, it's not going to happen. The Bible says once that spirit leaves the body, it's gone. It is gone. Who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach into. We put men on the moon. Unless you're Stephon Curry, you don't think people are on the moon. But men are gone, been on the moon. They're thinking that they're going to put people on Mars pretty soon. They're going to put them in these little canopies, and they're going to put a manned probe there, they hope. But the fact is, no one's ever going to put anything on the sun, because you can't even get any closer to the sun without something exploding. That's because darkness can never overcome the light. And that's what that phrase means. The darkness comprehended it not. It means it could not overcome it. Now, darkness is certainly tried. Satan has tried to destroy the messianic line time after time. He tried in the Old Testament. He tried during the time of Herod with Joseph and Mary. He tried during the lifetime of Jesus to get him to bow down and worship him. He even tried when he was on the cross. Come down off that cross if you're really God. You would get off of that cross. But over and over again, he tried to destroy the, the promise of God, but he could never do it because with all the darkness, the light still shined. 
And I say that again this morning, the light still shines. It still is shining this morning. It overcomes. Light always wins. And I know sometimes we kind of wonder about what's going on in the world here, what's going on in the world here. Let me just tell you something this morning, light always wins. It always wins. Jesus wins. Jesus is the vast light. He is the vital light. He is the victorious light. And then, thank God, He is the virtuous light. He is the virtuous light. 3,000 years ago, a prophet said this, truth has fallen in the streets. You would almost think that he is talking about today. Today, sadly, it is so rare to find in the public arena especially people who tell the truth. And especially journalism seems to lean so far to the left, finding someone who will just tell us the real truth. But I will tell you someone who always tells the truth, that's Jesus. He is the light bringer. He is virtuous. He is pure light. The one thing about Jesus, pure light, pure truth. What does he do? Well, he highlights at least three different areas that he illuminates. Number one, the light of Christ illuminates the truth about the gospel. Look at verses 6, 7, and 8. In fact, let's read that together, would you, with me? 6, 7, and 8. Ready, begin. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. What's the gospel? Really, the gospel is just opening, pulling back the curtains and letting the light come in. That's really what preaching is. That's really what singing about Jesus. That's really what writing books about God. That's just really what it all comes down to. It's just simply doing everything we can to get out of the way so that the light of Christ comes out clear and and free and so the people can see. And that's what this is saying here. They're saying that John the Baptist, that's who it's speaking about here, John the Baptist was a gospel preacher. And what did he do? He just told everybody, this man is the Messiah. This is the one who was promised in the Old Testament. This was the one who was talked to about all, to all, of, our, all of our family for generation after generation. This is the one. This is he. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist just said, this Jesus is the Messiah. He just is pulling back. He said this proof and this proof, and that's what preaching comes. It just comes down to giving the truth. It is said in the 16th century, there was a powerful Protestant reformer. His name was Hugh Latimer. He was such a powerful preacher that he was asked to speak in many places. And one of the places he spoke at King Henry VIII was going to visit. When Hugh Latimer was told that, they said, just be careful what you preach. The King Henry VIII is going to be in the audience. He thought long and hard because he knew of his reputation. If he didn't like something or if he felt someone was after him, he would give him the sword. And Hugh Latimer stood up that morning after many hours and days of praying and wondering. And he stood up and he said these words, And he addressed himself. He said, Latimer, oh, Latimer, be true to the king. And everybody thought, well, that's nice of him to acknowledge King Henry VIII. And then he clarified. He said, I, this morning, will be faithful to the true king. And I will declare God's word 
from the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. And I will tell you this morning, the truth of the gospel preaches the truth. And I will say this, if you are not a preacher of the truth, then get out of the pulpit. Go get another job. Go sell used cars for a living or something, because the truth of the gospel is the thing that must come forward. It is the light of Christ. There ought to be places where people can go and get the pure truth, the pure truth, unadulterated. The light of Christ illuminates the truth about the gospel. What else does the light of Christ do? It illuminates the truth about the Son of God. Verse 9, that was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Hallelujah! It lights every man. You that are here this morning and saying, I don't know, I just don't get it. Yes, you do get it, because this verse says you have light. Everybody has light. You've been given the light. The gospel has been written on your heart. You know right from wrong. You can go to some jungle in the most remote place of this world, and they have a moral code. And it's the same as we have. You don't kill people. You don't commit adultery. You, you don't lie. You don't steal. It's the same moral code. Who told them that? God told them. It is a moral code. We have light. The Bible says the gospel is a light that comes to every man. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. Now, we have in the New Testament the promise of Jesus. We see Jesus. He's on every page. But in the Old Testament, they had Jesus too. Sometimes people say, oh, you know, the Old Testament, it's all about laws, and God was different back then. First of all, it wasn't all about laws. It was all about God. And God was no different then. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. No. The fact is, when Moses took that rod and he struck the rock in the wilderness, that was a symbol of them crucifying Christ. When the serpent was on the stick there and held up and the people were healed, that was sin on the cross. That was Christ. The Bible says Jesus is throughout the Old Testament, and that's what John the Baptist was doing here. The Bible says he came... He preached to people. He told them what was going on, and yet they wouldn't receive it. For 30 years, Jesus lived in Nazareth. He took a few trips, but for 30 years, he worked in his dad's carpentry shop. He would go once a year, maybe twice a year, down to Jerusalem. He would participate in the different feasts. He would go to the synagogues. But for 30 years, they watched Jesus. He never spoke a bad word. He hit his thumb and he didn't curse God. He wouldn't be happy, but he didn't curse God. He never had a lustful thought. He never stole something. He never had a bad attitude. And for 30 years, they witnessed this perfect child become a perfect youth and become a perfect young man. For 30 years, they watched light in front of them. They could touch his hand. They could watch him. They could hear the tone of his words. For 30 years, this earth, Nazareth. And what did they do? The first time he got up to preach, oh, wow, we're going to, this is a perfect person. Wow, he's going to be the greatest leader we've ever had. No, the first time he stood up to preach in a first act of public ministry, they tried to kill him. That's what John said. John said he's perfect and you tried to kill him. He's perfect, and you wouldn't receive him. He's perfect, and you hated him. Why? Because you're so dark. 
your heart is dark and your spirit is dark and your mind is dark and you don't want light. And he said, for three years, Jesus ministered. What did he do? He went up to people that were sick and he healed them. People's ears were deaf and he touched those ears and they began to hear. He took a woman who was possessed of a demon and he cast it out. He raised up little children. He fed the hungry. Jesus did nothing but good. And the people hated him, crucified him, crucified him. Well, I wouldn't be like that. The sad thing is we all would do the exact same thing if he were alive today because darkness hates the light and it just shows how depraved we are. Notice that little phrase there. It says, verse number 10, he was in the world. But thank God he was not of the world. He was not of the world. Have you ever thought about how pure light is? You know, light's the only natural substance that can't be contaminated. Every other natural substance can be contaminated. Dirt can be contaminated. Uh, water can be contaminated. I mean, all you have to do is just introduce just a, a smidgen of some nitrates in your well. And you, I mean, it's, it's dangerous. Light can never be contaminated. If you take water and you run it some, across some dead animal or something, that water is you can't take it's it's unusable but take light and have something putrefying the most terrible gross ugly horrible thing that there is and let the light shine on it does the light ever change no all that the light does is just show the darkness and that's exactly what the wonderful picture of our lord and savior jesus christ the light of christ illuminates the truth about the glory of God and the sinfulness of man. And that's what the light does. The light illuminates the truth about the gospel. The light of Christ illuminates the truth about the Son of God. And number three, the light of Christ illuminates the truth about believers. Look at verse 12. But, and that is a fulcrum. That word right there is a, is a hinge because everything else now is on that one word. But, <laughs> Not everybody is dark. Not everybody's this way. Not everybody rejects him. Not everybody hates him. Not everybody is living in darkness. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God or a child of God, even to them that believe on his name. You say, what does it mean to receive Christ? It means the same as it says here, to believe on him. To believe on him is to receive him. To receive him is to believe him. People are here this morning and might ask the question, are you a religious person? Well, we, you might say that, but we're not merely a religious person. Are you a person that follows creeds? Well, I'm sure there's creeds that we have, but that's not really what I'm about. I'm not about a person who just follows creeds. Are you a person who has these ceremonies and these traditions that you follow? Well, I suppose we are. We have traditions. We have ceremonies, but that's not what we're really about. I know what you are. You're a people who try to live up to a certain moral code. Yes, we have a moral code. As Christians, we have a moral code that we try to live up to. We try. We don't always do so, but no, actually, 
what is a Christian? What is a, what is a church? It's a group of people, as this verse says, who have been transformed, who have been given a new nature. They have become children of God. And so it's not just about what I'm doing. It's about what's been done inside of me. And that is that Christ himself came to live inside of me. He has given me a new nature. The Bible says the light of Christ makes us a child of God. And that's what John the Baptist here, and that's what John is preaching about. It's saying, you know what? Yes, it's a dark world. Yes, it's a world that doesn't want God. But there are some who believe on Christ, who will believe on him, and they become a child of God. And from that day forward, they are absolutely different. They've been changed. Everything is different in their life. And that's what happens when you get Jesus inside of you. Jesus changes you. He gets in there, and all of a sudden there's, new, there's light. God is light. He is the life of man. The world doesn't like life. The world doesn't like uh, the, the light of God. It loves its darkness. Jesus, this morning, is the vast light. There's nobody as great and as big and as limitless and as boundless as God, just like light. You can't put it in a bottle. You can't put a, uh, borders on it. You can put borders on water. You can put borders on other natural substances, but you can never put a border on light. It is vast. It is in the beginning. It is God. It is the logos of God. Jesus is the victorious light. The darkness could never overcome light. No matter how many times darkness tried, it never has overcome and it never will. Read the book of Revelation. We're going to start a new series in a few weeks here, two weeks. As we begin to go through the book of Revelation in the first few chapters, and we're going to remind ourselves how the darkness has tried to overcome the light, but it doesn't, and it won't in the future as, as will. Jesus is the victorious light. He is the vital life. Without light, there can be no life. Light is the substance that makes life happen, and it's also the thing that makes a spiritual life happen. Without the light of God, nothing grows inside of me. Oh, I can think, I can have a life, I can, I can have bio, I can, but I can't have Zoe, I can, I can just exist, but there's a big difference between existing and the Zoe of God, the, the beauty and all that God has. God is the vital light. He is the virtuous light. I'm glad to announce this morning that there is truth. I know sometimes we read the papers, sometimes we listen to the news, sometimes we hear what's going on and we wonder, is anybody tell the truth? Is there truth anywhere? I mean, you hear this person, there's people trying to get your money, there's people trying to get stuff from you, and you wonder, is anybody really have the truth? I'm here to say, thank God Jesus is truth. He is virtuous. He is the light of God. He is absolutely pure. And just to show you how bad we humans are, when something is so pure, the first time we embrace it, we don't like it. We don't like the truth. Jesus is the virtuous light. Thank God, finally, this morning, Jesus is the venerable light or glorious or honorable light. He is the one who is full of the glory of God. What is God like? Read the Gospels. What is God like? Read the book of Matthew. Read the book of Mark. 
Read the book of Luke. Read the book of John. We'll see what God the Father is like because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are a blessed trinity. They are one. Look what it says in verse 14. In fact, let's read it together if you would please. Ready? Begin. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Glory. The God that we serve is glorious. Glorious. Have you thought about how glorious it is to have Christ, to have Christmas? No other religion has a beautiful holiday like Christmas. Today, if you go to an Asian country or some other country and you fall down before some big golden statue of Buddha, you have no time where you'll celebrate the birth of Buddha and all that he did for your life. No, the fact is they just say, you've got you've to come, you've got to do this and got to do that. And maybe, maybe Buddha will help you in this world. If you were to go to some uh, nation and worship some of the millions of Hindu gods, there's no hope, there's no light. In fact, it's dark. It's a, so dark. And today there are many, even in America, who have the false god of education or the false god of secularism. And they just wake up every day with darkness in their spirit. And yet Jesus is full of grace and truth. You can meet a person who's a Christian, and I mean you, typically, especially if they're spirit-filled, within seconds you can know if they're a Christian. They are bright. They just, you can look into their eyes and there's a, there's a brightness about their spirit. It's the, in fact, the book of Romans says that the spirit bears witness with your spirit. You just know there's something about them. <laughs> I was around a guy the other day for a little bit. I was playing golf and after a little bit, he said, I can, he, and I finally gave him, told him I was a pastor of a church. He said, I knew you were a God man. I thought that was a cute way to say it. I knew you were one of them God men. He was an Asian fellow and He'd never really been exposed to the things about Jesus. I told him just a little bit about the Lord. Had a few moments there. But you know, that's what I think we ought to be. We ought to be those people that say, I knew you were something about God. There's something about you. There's a glory. And it's not us. I tell you, absolutely. We, it's not us. It is God in me. It is the, that's what it says here. It is full of grace and truth. And by the way, only God can put those two together, grace and truth. Because when I get full of grace, I lose truth. When I get full of truth, I lose grace. But thank God, he is full of grace and truth. He puts them together in the glory of God. It is the light of God. Now, we're so blessed to have these beautiful lights here this morning. And it's quite a story how all these lights got to be here. And we're getting ready to order new lights for the new building. And oh, they're so, we have all these wonderful chandeliers as well as these dimmable LED lights, uh, I think a hundred of them or something, just hard to imagine all the lights, but I mean, they're amazing. They're little energy, very bright. They had to put it into a little program to be able to figure out how many foot candles or where people sit so that it's equal all over the room, and so every light will be a little different, um, you know, voltage, and they, it's amazing, and that new building is going to be absolutely glorious, beautiful. But I'll tell you this much, as beautiful as these lights are and functional, it's a very simple building, but we're thankful for it. 
And as beautiful as those new lights are going to be in that new building, I'll tell you, it doesn't even hold a candle to the light of God and to the light of Jesus Christ. He is the real illuminator. And that's what this is saying here. People think something is glorious. You know, they'll, they'll go to Las Vegas and, oh, look at all these lights. Oh, and Pauline and I had the privilege of being in Times Square at night. I mean, it takes all day just to go down there. By the time you're there, we wanted to be there, and we were right there on one of those corners. It was like nine o'clock at night. I mean, you would have thought it was the middle of the day. It was bright, and you, it was like wall-to-wall people. It was just a, just a normal evening. Well, there, uh, there, Times Square, lights everywhere, and my goodness, people drive from all over the world just to, or they drive, they'll, they'll fly, they'll come in a boat and they'll drive, or they'll come to Times Square just to see the lights. <laughs> it's nothing compared to the glory of God. The glory of God, people talk about like Christmas lights, oh, they're beautiful. But the lights, any light that we have on this earth, the glory of it is nothing compared to the light of Christmas. It's an amazing thing how people treat real light. People will drive and they will spend hundreds of dollars to go to a casino in Jackson, see the lights, and they'll spend thousands of dollars to go to Disneyland to see the light parade, and it'll pass right by a church where the real light is in their own neighborhood. Some faithful pastor holding up the word of God, telling them about the light of Jesus, and they'll drive right by. That's no, that's what they did 2,000 years ago. Truth is in a manger. Truth's always been in a manger. It's, it's not accompanied by light. It's not accompanied by, by all the trappings of glory. No, the glory is when God bursts in my spirit, when the Holy Spirit is birthed in my soul, then the glory of God. All of a sudden, Christmas takes on new meaning. Then the whole thing makes, it's a big difference then. Light comes. It's amazing, the light of Christ. Several years ago, we went to a cave up in the foothills. I don't remember the name of it. But we went down into this cave with a guide, winding down kind of a narrow ledge. There were stalagmites and stalactites and dripping sound of water and the smell of sulfur and moist soil. When we reached the largest cavern there, several hundred feet underground, the guide issued a warning. He said, now, we have these lights, you're very secure, and he said, I, but we're going to turn off all lights, and he said, you're going to experience something that few people ever experience in their life. Now, I've heard of places that were dark. I've been in some places, I mean, it, you, could, you could hardly see the hand in front of your face, but you could always see something. He said, it's so dark, you will not be able to see anything you will be immediately disoriented. And so they said, secure yourself, kind of figure out where you are, hold on to the ledge, you know, I mean, hold on to the rail, hold on to your friend, you know, your loved one. And then they flipped off the lights. And I'm telling you, it was like 
it was the creepiest, craziest, most uh, unearthly feeling I've ever had in my life. I mean, you, it, it was just like you could not see anything. Absolutely dark. And then the guy did something so unique. He took one little tiny match and he lit it. And I mean that big giant cavern. Just all of a sudden, just one match. And that cavern was filled with a light. Beautiful. 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago. It was a dark world. And a little tiny match. A little baby was lit. And this world all of a sudden had a light in it. Had the truth in it. Had the glory of God. Jesus is the light of Christmas. If there's one thing that these verses teach us this morning, and that is this, God does not want anybody to go to hell. He does not want anybody to go to hell. And I will tell you very clearly this morning, if you are here this morning and you end up dying and going to hell, you will not be able to blame God because God has done everything possible to give you the light. Over and over and over and over again, He has given you the light. And I tell you this morning, the light of the world is Jesus Christ. And He wants to come into your spirit. Light was born in Bethlehem. He is the light of Christmas. And if you'll come to Him this morning, if you'll just come like you are, open your heart and receive Him, the Bible says you'll become a child of God. The light of Christmas inside of you. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.